Okay. When do we start? Oh, do you already start? Okay. Um, oh, to our listeners, this is, this is going to be an interesting episode for a lot of reasons. Um, me and Margo are currently sharing a mic sitting on my living room floor, just making the best of uh, what we got with our virtual studio. I love it. And I'm actually excited to be sharing a mic with you, Miriam, because um, historically when I've had to share a mic, it's with Harjeet and had to be pretty defensive about it. But I'm really and enjoying these sharing vibes that we've got going on right now. <laughs> Love you, Harjeet. <laughs> Shout out to Harjeet. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, but I, I feel like I'm going to be a better mic sharer than, no, I'm just kidding. Anyways, let's just jump into the episode. So welcome back everybody to Bundle of Hers. Um, I am in the virtual studio with Margo. Say hi, Margo. Hey. The title of this episode is Health at Every Size. This might be something that that many of you guys have heard of. Um, it's kind of been a topic, I think that's, I wouldn't call it a hot topic just yet in the medical world, but I, I think it's been like a topic that's been talked about a little bit more. Um, before I kind of jump into what health at every size is, I'm actually curious, Margo, had you heard about this movement before? Only recently, I'd say in like the last um, few years have I learned about health at every size. And I would also say it's a hot take topic because I think as we're going to talk about, and as we have talked about with BMI in the past on this podcast, talking about weight and fat phobia and implicit weight bias in medicine is always a hot take topic. So I'm very excited to talk about health at every size, but I do think it is not very well known and not taught in medical education. So let's dive in. And um, that actually reminds me, if, for you listeners who didn't know, Margot and I think Harjeet, and I can't remember who else, did an episode on BMI and fat phobia in medicine. So if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely check it out. I cannot tell you what season it was, but it's there wherever you listen to podcasts. But that's a really great episode. I actually did listen to that episode a while back. And it, you know, I feel like it's a really good conversation. And we're going to be talking about kind of some similar things um, regarding like fat phobia in medicine. But more specifically, we're going to dive into this framework of health at every size and kind of why it's a hot topic in medicine. Um, before I kind of jump in, I wanted to kind of just like explain why I decided on this topic and kind of my positionality and like kind of how I want to approach this topic and things I want to be mindful of during this discussion. Essentially, I wanted to explore this topic because more recently, when I started my clinical rotations in this past year, and I've been on an elective more recently too, um, I've noticed just like a lot of blatant and unapologetic horrible discrimination towards patients based on weight that are really just rooted in fat phobia. And I just think it's an incredibly irresponsible and horrible way to practice medicine. I got to the point where I would just like go home and like vent to my friends and like my community about just kind of like some of the horrible ways that a lot of my patients had been treated in clinical setting and uh, because we're on a podcast, I decided to do an episode kind of talking about it. Um, so I essentially, maybe about a year ago, was on social media and follow a lot of people who are in like the dietitian world or in like the healthcare world. And there's this like movement called Health at Every Size. I was just very curious about this framework because I didn't see it taught a lot or even talked about enough in uh, in the clinical setting or in our training. So we're going to jump into it a little bit. I do want to say that 
this episode's going to explore like kind of my perspectives based on my experiences as a medical trainee. But I do want to acknowledge that I am a smaller bodied person and I've never been discriminated against based on my size. And I think that positionality is really important to disclose before I jump into this topic as well. I also just want to want to put out there, just like with all my other episodes, but I really want to emphasize with this episode, I am not the expert. I'm just somebody who wants to practice medicine in a responsible way. Um, and I want to be really intentional about not introducing weight bias or fat phobia into my practice um, and really learn how to resist it throughout my training as well. Did you want to add anything? Yeah, I second everything that Miriam just said, but also um, that episode she was referring to was two seasons ago. And the third person was a guest, um, Isis Cruz, who uh, she's a nurse at Primary Children's. And we're so grateful she came to, on to talk about her experience and being very vulnerable with us. It also is a great foundation and groundwork for this podcast episode um, about learning about the history of BMI and sort of how fat phobia became intertwined in um, medical practice and the medical institution. So definitely check that one out, too. Back to you, Mary. Amazing. <laughs> Switching out mics is, is a fun time. It's like we're on the news. Anyways, uh, so what is health at every size? So I did a little bit of digging and found a website um, that was created by the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health. Um, they're a great resource, by the way, for anybody who wants to learn a little bit more about this topic. And towards the end of this podcast, we'll recommend some other resources as well for anybody who's interested. But their approach to health at every size and kind of this topic in general, I think is one that I vibe really well with and I really like. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into how they define health and health at every size specifically. The Association for Size Diversity and Health affirms a holistic definition of health, which cannot be characterized as the absence of physical or mental illness, limitation, or disease. Rather, health exists on a continuum that varies with time and circumstance for each individual. Health should be conceived as a resource or capacity available to all regardless of health condition or ability level and not as an outcome or objective of living. Pursuing health is neither a moral imperative nor an individual obligation and health status should never be used to judge, oppress, or determine the value of an individual. So centering on this definition of health, the health at every size principles and framework are a continuously evolving alternative to the weight-centered approach to treating clients and patients of all sizes. The health at every size principles promote health equity, support ending weight discrimination, and improve access to quality health care regardless of size. It's a lot. <laughs> but Margaret, I'm kind of curious, what are, what are your thoughts just like hearing that? I definitely believe that this is a principle in their definition of health that should be more taught and more on the forefront of medicine. Again, historically, there is so much pressure and training rooted against bigger bodies and fat people, right? Like this is, comes back to the history of BMI. And another thing that really makes it difficult is that it's a visual thing, right? You can't look at someone and tell that they have hypertension. You can't look at someone and tell that they have diabetes, but you can look at someone and see what the shape of their body is um, and the size of their body. And so we have learned to judge people based on that in our training. And so I love that this is working to unlearn and untrain that from us and just really associate that you can be a healthy person at every size. And that's not something that we are trained in medical school. And so I, I really like this and I think it should become more prominent in medicine, especially medical education. 
Yeah, I think it's like a really just different approach to health than we're taught. I think health in general, I mean, people assume that like being in medical training, we are the experts on health, including our own health, which let me tell you, (laughs) is not necessarily true. And uh, we have all this wonderful training, like we do learn a lot in medical school. But at the same time, you know, the way that I think we as a society broadly think about health could be challenged in a lot of ways, especially as it pertains to weight discrimination. You know, when I was reading this earlier, as I was doing my research, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air. Like I was like, I feel very excited to practice medicine in a way where you're it almost feels like you're bringing power back to your patients. I think it's a really cool way to practice medicine. I think it's also on the flip side, um, really refreshing for patients to come to a healthcare provider who has been trained or has this lens of health at every size when they know and trust that they're not going to be questioned or berated or told that they need to lose weight at every single visit they go to, no matter what their complaint is. And that's historically part of the problem of implicit weight bias in medical training is that so often we are willing to say, chalk every, every problem they have up to their weight lose weight, come back, and then we'll decide. And that's how a lot of diagnoses go um, missed or take a long time to get diagnosed for these patients. And that's just not okay. Yeah, for sure. So diving into the health at every size key principles, the first one is weight inclusivity. So accepting and respecting the inherent diversity of body shapes and sizes and rejecting the idealizing or pathologizing of specific weights. And there's also health enhancement. So supporting health policies that improve and equalize access to information and services, eating for well-being. I think this one is a really big one, and we'll get into this a little bit more throughout the episode, but promoting flexible and individualized eating based on hunger, satiety, nutritional needs, and pleasure, rather than any externally regulated eating plan focused on weight control. Love that. Um, Respectful care. So going into this, acknowledging biases that were taught in our training and working to actively end weight discrimination, weight stigma and weight bias. And then life enhancing movement. So this is the last principle and just supporting physical activities that allow people of all sizes, abilities and interests to engage in enjoyable movement to the degree that they choose. So those are kind of the, the big key principles of health at every size. So I kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I became more curious about this topic because I have recently been on an elective um, through OB, it's the maternal fetal medicine elective where we take care of a lot of quote unquote, higher risk pregnancies. So as somebody who wants to go into OB, I noticed that there was just a lot of blatant fat phobia in this space. One of the things that we do is we see patients who have gestational diabetes or diabetes that patients will develop while they're pregnant because pregnancy creates like a little bit of insulin resistance in everybody. Some people end up developing gestational diabetes. Sometimes it's managed with just like diet and exercise, and sometimes it's managed a little bit more aggressively with insulin. And there's goal ranges of blood sugars that we monitor. And throughout my time in clinic, um, throughout my time, like on my OB rotation and in my electives for OB, just like noticing how a lot of these patients who have gestational diabetes or high blood sugars were counseled in the clinical setting was actually kind of... uh 
was kind of a discouraging <laughs> way to like experience uh, healthcare. A lot of counseling that goes into this patient population is really focused on numbers, right? Because the goal from the OB perspective is to get below a specific number or like within a specific range for blood sugars. But there wasn't a lot of like holistic counseling. And in fact, there was a lot of like dare I say, shaming when it came to a lot of the counseling that was that was happening in that space. A lot of, you know that you should be exercising. You know you shouldn't be picking up the carbs. You know you should be carb counting. You know you should be doing this, this, and this. Without any like really acknowledgement of the person as a whole, what they do, what their everyday life looks like, what their goals are, how they feel about their body, and what feels comfortable to them. And I think every single time I bring this up at, like with a provider, or if I ever like tease the the idea of like, maybe there are other ways we could counsel patients. It's always like, you know, Mariam, you don't know this, but you're not going to have the time in the clinical environment. So you just have to say the goals and trust that your patients have to like listen to this and like take their own, take this advice. I thought it was a really interesting perspective because I don't think a shame-based approach to counseling ever really works. I absolutely agree with that. Um, and so as personally as a parent myself and then in child psychiatry, been learning about like parenting styles and just attachment styles for children and the, what you're describing and how doctors basically, you don't have time, just give them the information is a very authoritarian style, which is like using fear to create change. And we know from like psychology that that just doesn't work in patients. The other problem that I have with this take is that the implicit weight bias is coming up strong in this case, because we also on the PED side, whenever we see a person who has had a history of gestational diabetes, we get worried. We think about all the medical problems and we start pathologizing just on that. And, and we do know there's some pathophysiological basis to but gestational hypertension and things that can happen to the baby. So that all is very appropriate to be worried about. What's problematic is automatically associating it with the size of the patient and then attaching your own fears and phobias and implicit bias onto that patient to shame them away from that. The reality is, regardless of your size, pregnancy causes gestational hypertension. We don't know. Sometimes people in bigger bodies maybe have a higher predilection for it, but that isn't always the case. There are people in smaller bodies that will also get gestational hypertension. And so the fact of the matter is we are not looking at gestational hypertension as the a disease caused by pregnancy. We are looking at it as a disease caused by the person's moral or work productivity, right? And like how we've been socialized in our society to think about fat people are and I'm using the word term fat because that's like the fat liberation is choosing to reclaim this word fat not as a bad thing or um, negative thing and we go more into that in that earlier episode two seasons ago but this is a prime example of where implicit weight bias comes up because part of the word fat phobia is that fear that we also get in ourselves and that's where the shaming comes from the authoritarian parenting style is like I'm going to tell you what to do because I'm afraid for you and I'm afraid for myself because I have fat phobia and that's how we've all been socialized. Um, but the reality is if you take a health at every size approach in this case, you look to understand, okay, this person is pregnant. We know that pregnancy increases your risk for gestational hypertension. Just 
just as it, you could get um, hyperemesis gravidarium or however you say <laughs> hyperemesis gravidarium. I think that's, I should know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Doctor words, right? Yeah. Whatever. Um, just as like you could get that from pregnancy, yeah. but that's not something that we've been trained to associate with weight. And so there's no stigma around it, right? So we need to really shift the frame to be like, this is a disease, a process that happens because of the pregnancy, not because of the person's size. Having a health at every size perspective really thinks about objectively the process, the symptoms of what is happening with the person and working with them to support them in the symptoms that they're having as a manifestation of what's going on in their body, rather than looking at their body size and being like, well, that your size is the reason you are having this problem. So I think... It's really important in OB, in peds, in psychiatry, and every other medical specialty. Internal medicine, we're looking at you. One of the most fat phobic uh, rotations I've been on. Not then that was my personal experience. That might not be everybody's experience. And like there are wonderful attendings and like residents and healthcare providers who don't, you know, adopt like these fat phobic ideals. But it's an important conversation to talk about. Something that I was thinking about, Margot, is uh, as you were talking, was just kind of going back to those key principles and like it's just funny with like counseling patients. I'm going to stick to like OB patients because I've seen a lot more obstetric patients um, recently. But this whole like idea of like eating for well-being and like life enhancing movement, which goes back to those key principles of health at every size, just, I don't know, feels like so healing to me. When we're talking to patients who are pregnant in patients, especially like who are very excited about like growing another human inside of them, which LOL can't relate at this point in my life, but like awesome. It's just kind of instead of being like, wow, you need to like like restrict this and do this and only gain a certain amount of weight during pregnancy. What I think is actually so beautiful is encouraging patients to like not only like just like nourish their their bodies during this time when their bodies are changing and like what does that nourishment look like for you? What are the foods that you like that keep you satiated that make you feel connected to your community, to your culture, to your body? I think that those are kind of really powerful things and again, like we don't really get taught about our relationships with food in our medical training. But I think that's kind of a shame because we do a heck of a lot of dietary counseling as providers. And it's just kind of an interesting different take uh, looking back at these principles for health at every size that honestly, to me, feels very intuitive and very, very healing. Like if I think about the ways that I would want to be counseled in my diet or like, you know, in terms of like how much I move and exercise, like one of the principles being like life enhancing movement, that sounds so great. What would enhance my life instead of somebody being like, you need to walk 7,000 steps a day. Like does walking enhance your life? If it doesn't, why don't you go cycle or something? <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's kind of like I love that a lot of these principles are kind of just rooted in like nourishment, life enhanced. I don't know. Those are like the terms that you just don't hear in a clinical setting. Uh, personally, when I was pregnant, I definitely resonate with this enhancement idea of like, if it doesn't make you happy, because first of all, in first trimester for me, when I had morning sickness, it was I couldn't eat anything. And so just the few things that really actually enhanced my life um, made it that much better. But also, I think there's something so powerful and beautiful to be said for the cravings that we have during pregnancy or that exist during pregnancy, because I think it really is your body communicating some a deeper need that it knows what you truly need to help support the growth in you or your own enhancement. And so I, I 
I would love to hear more of like encouraging patients to indulge in those cravings because what we know from psychology and from health at every size and intuitive eating research is that the more we restrict and avoid those internal cravings, those internal messages we're getting from our bodies, the stronger the signal is going to be and the less satisfactory the rest of our life, the rest of the food is going to be that you try to fill that gap in. So for example, if you're like lemonade was my craving that I had during pregnancy. I loved lemonade. I I wanted it every day, all the time. Ice cold. Don't forget the ice. (laughs) Um, And lemonade is not something I usually used to drink. And I think I had been socialized like lemonade has a lot of sugar. You shouldn't drink it. It's bad for you. Like all that implicit, right? Socialization. And then one day I like started researching what restaurants have the best lemonade and like really going for the fresh. And that like really, really truly was like life enhancing and like just giving into that one, not getting it, giving in also has a negative connotation, right? That we need to unlearn that sort of rhetoric around it. Like indulging in that craving that my body like having that lemonade just like the pure satisfaction and then it wasn't like I went out of control and needed it the rest of the day so there's a lot of power in listening to our bodies and I think that's what health at every size also brings to the table that's so important but I just overall would love to hear more people talking about enhancing our lives rather than what you said the authoritarian like no you should not do this I also just kind of like kind of how these key principles also highlight like kind of having like a level of like love for your body too, because that's another important thing in terms of like maintaining health is I I get like a lot of people don't necessarily feel like this, especially as it pertains to like people feel complicated things about their bodies. And I want to make space for that. But just like feeling more at home with their body and like finding different like exercise practices or spiritual practices or like dietary practices that make them feel more at home in their body. And, you know, like that doesn't always translate to the clinical setting, but I think it's worth having a conversation about this framework because not enough clinicians, I mean, what, what clinicians are doing right now, I honestly think is not serving our patients. And psychiatry is a really great example to bring in now my experience in psychiatry. So historically, we know that almost every mental health medication, what we call psychotropic medications, have a side effect of weight gain, some more than others. So specifically, the antipsychotics are known to be huge, quote unquote, weight gainers, whereas your SSRIs, maybe not as much. Um, but across the board, it's something very interesting that um, medications used to treat mental health disorders cause weight gain. We do not fully understand the mechanisms or why that is. There's some theories that like, you know, for people who have severe depression, that all of a sudden their depression symptoms are better, they're feeling better, and now they're like out more social and eating more. So that could be one reason of it. But we know like the antipsychotics specifically just tend to make people gain weight. So patients who that I've treated um, will feel much better from their depressive symptoms, but then start to notice the weight changes. Um, and I've tried actually to have the health at every size conversation with some people um, because they also then will come to me. My mood is so much better, but now that I'm gaining weight, my anxiety is so high. So I almost would rather be depressed because then I'm in a smaller body. And that to me is such a complex thing. And I think we have to, like you said, Miriam, give space to the fact that this is how our society in the U.S. really socialized us to be have like a lot of fat phobia, a lot of implicit weight bias to want to try to fit into this model body one one size fits all, right? Which is not how human bodies are. So I try to talk to patients about the fact that like there's some connection between our state of well-being, right? And our life enhancing stuff that 
makes our bodies go back to where this like set point, right? Where we're supposed to be. And there's so little research on that, on like how our metabolisms truly work and like where our body weight, what determines like where our bodies want to be in terms of weight. We do know from a lot of research that restrictive dieting through like a person's life, the more you do it, the more weight you actually end up gaining in the long run. And not to say that like weight gain is bad in the long run, but the fact that like by intervening or trying to do things to make your body not what it wants to be can actually counteract itself. Um, so coming back to the sense of radical self-acceptance and self-love, I think is a huge first step. I try to talk to my patients about that, but also the fact that like now your mood is better, you're feeling better. You can maybe engage in more of these life enhancing things, especially the eating for well-being, I think is so important, especially in for mental health too. So that's something we've been acutely navigating. Um, and has encouraged me to try to talk about health at every size more in my clinical practice. But everything is a learning. Like you said, I have learning about it first for myself um, is really hard, not being an expert on it. And then ha- having patients who are also socialized very deeply in um, implicit weight bias mentality. It's been really difficult, I would say, um, to try to connect with people on that level. But I just hope that the more I can learn about health at every size and talking, the more conversations I can have, the more I will learn and hopefully um, shift even in my colleagues to change the conversations around weight gain and everything. Um, and it's interesting too, like we talk about how there's a lot of weight bias in healthcare, like within healthcare providers and how we're trained, but also there's a lot of weight bias in society. And yeah, a lot of our patients have internalized a lot of that and sometimes don't feel comfortable in their body or have specific goals. And, you know, as a provider, you want to honor those goals and you want to validate how somebody feels about their body and their experiences while also, you know, wanting to promote health in a way that isn't so biased against like heavier weights. And so I think it is a difficult balance. There is no right way to do it. But I think again, going back to like you said, Margot, emphasizing like, yeah, some of these medications may have a side effect where you gain a little bit of weight. But if you're feeling better, if some of those depressive symptoms resolve, let's talk about ways to kind of enhance like, you know, your mood through like how you feel about your food and like through movement and things like that, that kind of go back to that health at every size piece. And sometimes people don't feel comfortable in their body. And there's a lot of feelings that go into that. But I think acknowledging that as a healthcare provider and not necessarily pushing like, okay, then we need to have you lose this amount of weight and going back to like, how can we make you feel good? Kind of a, I think is a really powerful approach. Um, I want to kind of jump into just to kind of tie out the episode, how this framework of care is an important part of seeking justice within the healthcare system and more specifically addressing symptoms or sorry, and addressing symptoms. Why can't I speak today? Okay. As we're tying uh, up this episode, I want to actually talk about how this framework of care is an important part of seeking justice within the healthcare system and addressing systems of oppression within medicine. And so we're talking about like a lot of the things that we talk about on bundles, racism in medicine, ableism in medicine, classism, all these like isms or like systems of oppression that we're constantly having conversations about. I think health at every size is a really important framework to kind of like uh, seek out justice in these spaces to kind of actively battle these systems of oppression. And 
And one big thing that I've noticed a lot is racism in medicine is very alive and well. And I think fat phobia specifically in medicine is very heavily targeted uh, against a lot of communities of color. More specifically, what I've noticed in the clinical setting is a lot of communities of color, people who are refugees or have recently immigrated here, like will come in, seek out some type of primary care, and then be essentially shamed for how they're eating or shamed for how they take care of themselves. I would say patients of color specifically, I've noticed in the healthcare setting are presumed to not have an understanding of their own health, which is a very kind of like messed up and super racist uh, assumption on on the side of healthcare providers. So I have a funny, it's not a funny story. It's kind of a messed up story, but I can say it's funny because I'm Afghan. It's like, it was targeted towards like my community, but I um, did a family medicine rotation and I was looking through one of my attendings trainings because at the site that I did my rotation, they saw a lot of refugees, especially a lot of Afghan refugees. And so they did like this kind of like cultural orientation on like Afghan refugees. And the title of the presentation, I still laugh, was called Afghanistani Healthcare. (laughs) I just started identifying as half Afghanistani. Anyways, um, but I like, you know, obviously I was going to click on that and uh, go through that training. And it was so interesting. I mean, like, bless this attending soul. I think he meant well, but they get to the part of like promoting this concept of like health literacy in Afghan patients. And essentially the PowerPoint was saying like Afghans generally have a cultural diet that's heavy in oils and fats and they eat really unhealthy. And I just think that's so funny because like one, first of all, Afghan food is bomb. Okay. And yes, we do use a lot of oil in a lot of our cooking, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's extremely unhealthy healthy. I mean, you're telling a community of people who have been surviving and thriving on this type of cuisine for centuries that what they're doing is wrong when they move to this country. And then you're telling them to eat freaking like kale and broccoli because that's apparently what's considered healthy in the West. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Nobody in my family is going <laughs> to pick up like any kale because that's not what they grew up with. Right. So what I'm trying to say is like when you're implementing this approach of like health at every size, and like thinking more specifically about those principles of like eating for nourishment and life enhancing foods, a lot of that ties back to like somebody's cultural background and how they relate to their food. No, I think that is so important um, to recognize the racism that is inherently tied into implicit weight bias and fat phobia um, and how we practice medicine. And your point about thinking about other cultures and foods practices and labeling them as unhealthy is a huge part of that. And like you so eloquently outlined earlier, I think it is so important to walk the path with the patient and not talk at the patient or sort of like scold them. Because at the end of the day, when you partner with your patient to understand their background, their needs, their goals, their wants, their hopes, their dreams, your therapeutic outcomes and your medical practice with them is going to be so much better um, because that's what they want. And that's ultimately you're going to, I will feel better about a patient interaction that they are in control of, right? I think historically medicine was very, 
very, you know, rooted in this patriarchy hierarchical model of like, we tell you what to do and you are obedient. A good patient is an obedient patient, but that's not how medicine is practiced or historically practiced across in like many cultures across the world. It's very much like an understanding of what this health at every size is coming back to life enhancement. Like what makes you happy as a person? What is good for your body. And that, I mean, maybe Afghan food is good for Afghan people and maybe white people too. (laughs) It's good for everybody. Everybody go get Afghan food. Yeah. Um, By the way, if you like kale and broccoli, this is not a dig on you. You can, I like broccoli. It's good. Kale sucks. Okay. So as we're closing out this episode, I do again want to emphasize like this was a topic that I was curious about, not something that I, you know, have put into a lot of practice because I just started my medical training, but it's something I definitely want to learn a little bit more about so that I can put it into my practice and my training. But if you, our audience, are very interested in this topic, there are a lot of podcasts, Instagram pages that are amazing that I follow, that I've listened to, and Margot as well. I actually have gotten some of these recommendations from Margot. But one podcast that I will recommend is called Maintenance Phase. It's a podcast series that kind of dives into this topic, not specifically health at every size. Although they do talk about that, they talk a lot about like fat phobia in like different systems. And so definitely check that podcast out. Um, Margo, do you have any recommendations? I absolutely love um, at Nalgona Positivity Pride, which is a eating disorder harm reduction that is run by and for Black, Indigenous and people of color. Um, It's absolutely amazing resource. Definitely check that out. And I will say like, I love and appreciate your growth and wanting to learn more about this, Miriam. And uh, as someone who's been trying to implement it in my practice as a resident, I will say the first and easiest step that anyone can take is just whenever you have a patient who even like mentions or brings up any concerns for their weight or their body size is just acknowledging that we've been socialized to victimize our bodies at any size. And that acknowledgement that that exists and that it is not just that person that feels that way can go a really long way. And then holding space for them to vent and feel the way that they feel, walk that path with them is just a really simple thing that you can do to start. So I hope that we can all start in um, taking away this fat phobia from medicine. We are the the powerful next generation. <laughs> Be that change. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really think it's hard to, to implement that change when you're in the system, but just remember how powerful it is and how much better off your patients will be. Um, and that's the whole point of medicine, right? Like why else would we be in medicine? Did we go into medicine to shame our patients and to be fat phobic? No, we did not. We went into medicine to take care of people who are really sick and we want to provide the best care that we can. And so that's, how we do that. All right. On that note, we finished the episode. Um, okay. So thank you guys for tuning in and it, shoot. I hate closing because I don't know what to say. Okay. So if you, um, want to tune into more of our episodes, then follow us on wherever you podcast and follow. If you're not already following us on Instagram, what are you doing at bundle of hers? Come on, follow us. We are amazing. I honestly wish we had a TikTok, but I, can't do it. I have no capacity. I might have capacity. I love TikTok. Should we do it? We're going to talk to Chloe about doing a TikTok. Uh, we should DM us if you think we should do a TikTok uh, at Bundle of Hers. Anyways, this, I believe, is the second to last episode of the season. Woo! So please tune in to our next episode, which is going to be our season finale. So exciting. And sad. Bittersweet. 
but amazing. Tune in. Listen, we're going to be authoritarian on this one. You better listen <laughs> and follow Timmy June on Instagram if you're not. Oh my God. Okay. So I've been pushing for this for so long. Timmy June at T-I-M-M-I-E-J-O-O-N. He is the official bundle of hers mascot. He's a cat. He's my cat in case y'all don't know. No, Timmy doesn't do TikTok. Should I, should I start a TikTok? Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we love you guys. Bye.